Welcome, my name's Dr. Warwick Bishop. I'm a cardiologist, I'm an author, and a keynote speaker. I'm CEO of the Healthy Heart Network. I'm all about trying to help people live as well as possible for as long as possible. Heart disease is huge in Australia. Every 20 minutes, someone suffers a heart attack. Most of these could probably have been avoided if only we knew what to do. This podcast is all about helping you understand blood pressure, weight, cholesterol, for better health. If you enjoy this podcast, I would be honored for a five-star review. You can share it with your family and friends. It may well save someone you love. Hi, I'm Warwick Bishop, and thank you for joining my podcast and videocast station. Today, I've got the chance to speak with Dr. Helen Cooley, a Hobart-based rheumatologist, And this is the second time we've had a chance to speak and we're talking about osteoporosis. Hi, Helen. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Look, in uh, the first episode or the first uh, interview that we were able to record, we really spoke about osteoporosis, what it means, how many people are affected, many of the conditions that can feed into it and how we evaluate it using particular scans. What I'd really like to speak with you about today, Helen, is some of the things that we can put in place when we start to identify people who are osteoporotic. So when you identify an individual, let's say a a peri or postmenopausal woman has referred to you with suspicion of osteoporosis, walk me through how you would approach that individual. Okay, so if I'm seeing... um a perimenopausal woman, Um, I would ask her a pretty extensive medical history about what conditions she's had, um, illnesses as a child that might impact on her bone density, uh, medication use, in particular medications such as glucocorticoids or, or steroids. Has she been treated for epilepsy? Has she been treated for breast cancer, for example, or and maybe on drugs um, such as anastrozole or letrozole, which are associated with impacting on bone, bone density? Lifestyle factors um, are incredibly important. Um, does she smoke cigarettes? Does she drink a lot of alcohol? What is her exercise uh, pattern like? Um, is she doing any weight-bearing exercise, for example? And probably most importantly, has she had a fracture? Uh, when, we're, when we're talking about managing low bone density, it's not just about what the number is on the test. It is what your actual fracture risk is uh, so that your, your age, have you had previous fractures and also how many falls have you had uh, in the last 12 months play a large role in determining what your actual fracture risk is. And there are some guidelines that can help you decide whether um, a younger woman or certainly an older postmenopausal woman, when they should start, you know, medication uh, for the treatment of their low bone density. So that if your hip fracture risk is around 4% or so over the next five to 10 years, or if your overall fracture risk, such as say a wrist or a spine, is somewhere around 12 to 16, sorry, 16 to 20% in the next five to 10 years, you might want to have a discussion then with that particular patient about medication for osteoporosis. But I, I cannot 
overemphasize how important the lifestyle things are. If you're continuing to smoke, if you do no exercise, uh, then that's really, you know, detrimental to your bones as well as all your other um, potential health issues. So a couple of things there which I'm finding interesting, obviously I'm learning as well because this is out of my normal realm. Um, When you talk about risk of fracture, are you talking about risk calculators that have been put together that you put different factors into? That, that's right. There's an international one or there's a local one here called the Garvin Risk okay. from the Garvin Institute in New South Wales, which um, I use on a regular basis. Okay. And that is that online? Yes. Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, and it's yeah. free. And the other thing that's really interesting is you've mentioned smoking several times and alcohol several times. Mm-hmm. I would guess that there'd be lots of people who didn't realise how significant the impact of smoking and alcohol are on your bones. So to be honest, it's a little bit of a surprise to me, but it's obviously very significant. Yeah, yeah. And it and it can relate to perhaps then other lifestyle factors as well as a, a direct effect on your bones as well. Yeah, okay. So when we're talking about lifestyle, obviously alcohol, um, cigarettes, as you described, Exercise is really important. Is there any sort of exercise you recommend people do or are you just happy for them to be moving and doing something? I really like them to do something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Walking is a great exercise that most of us can do quite easily. Um, Bones do like a bit of stress on them. Um, So even things like taking out your skipping rope and putting a bit of stress through your bones is good, but I I am a bit reluctant recommending that to some of my 85-year-old Uh, patients because the other thing is you can have osteoporosis and it is silent until you break something so a fall is a good way to to do that Um, but basically any exercise is good but we do like weight bearing exercise so a lot of people might like cycling or or swimming and they're certainly great exercises for lots of other things but um, if that if you're concerned about building and maintaining your bone density, adding in some weight-bearing exercise to that would be good. Okay. And also in under that, uh, if you like, under that umbrella of lifestyle is diet and possibly supplements. What One of the yeah. things that we talked yeah. about air was yeah. patients with uh, calcium identified in their arteries of their heart, mm. but mm. they've also been told they've got... Um, osteoporosis and they're being told to take calcium and they're worried about calcium in their heart what's some of the advice you give around that yeah uh, yeah diet diet is also incredibly um, important and generally we, we advise people to try and get their calcium from their diet as opposed to taking calcium supplements for, for probably that that reason. There has been some uh, conflicting data in the literature um, that taking calcium supplementation may increase your risk of um, heart, heart disease um, so that if you can get your calcium from your diet, that that's the best way to do it. Many years ago, there was an ad we had, you know, a cup of milk and a piece of cheese and a tub of yogurt. 
So dairy is certainly, you know, your best source of calcium, but there are other ways to get it as well. You can get it from some green leafy vegetables, even things like strawberries, some nuts like almonds, walnuts, Brazil nuts, um, soy-based products, you know, uh, they can be calcium um, enriched. So there's lots of ways to get it. So if people really do dairy avoid and they struggle, I would suggest a supplement um, to them then. Um, of course, vitamin D um, is very important as well. Can I? Um, I'll jump in on that um, Confliction I, between. I'll jump in on that supplement. Um, okay, with... I found this on the web for his very important as well, and there is always a confliction between. Check it out. Is that at your end, Helen? Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I think Siri just started speaking to me. <laughs> Okay, we're oh, not going to edit that out, Siri. everyone listening. So uh, we're going. <laughs> Helen's going to turn that off, but I'll jump in and just make mm. a comment about the supplements. Mm. I think uh, one of the things that is concerning with taking a supplement is you get this enormous peak in the bloodstream, mm. and it makes little sense. It's not physiological, and so mm. for those very people you talk about, you were mm. just alluding to, who may need to take a calcium supplement because their diet just doesn't allow them to get enough calcium in there. I often tell them to grind up their calcium and spread it with their meals over their three meals in the day. Yeah, it is important. Um, it depends which calcium you use. Most people would use calcium carbonate, the, the big horse pills, um, and they actually need a bit of acid for optimal absorption. So having them with your meals is important. And a lot of people take... Uh, uh, proton pump inhibitors for their um, esophageal reflux disease so they can actually have really low um, acid in their stomach that can make it difficult to absorb these products so they may want to use something like calcium citrate okay um, a bit better absorbed okay well that's good to know sorry i interrupted your flow on vitamin d no that's all right look vitamin d is another like huge huge subject Vitamin D deficiency is certainly to be blamed for, you know, a, a lot of diseases, but um, supplementation doesn't always fix them. So it, it, vitamin D is important. You want to be replete in vitamin D. Um, and there is obviously some conflict between the sun safe messages, which are also very important, but also getting enough sunlight to get some vitamin D. Um, a lot of Tasmanians here in our winter months, the levels will drop uh, just simply because of our shorter days and it's freezing. You probably don't really want to run around in your bikini when it's about eight degrees. Um, and why is vitamin D important for your bones? Because it enhances your intestinal absorption of calcium and phosphate that you need um, for, for your bones. Um, the actual optimal amounts um, is they're not exactly sure how much we need of both calcium and vitamin D, um, but you want to keep probably your vitamin D level around, around 55, 60. Um, so some people may benefit from supplementation, you, you know, during the winter, certainly. Probably the benefit's not there maybe for you and me who, who get out inside and move around, but if you're living in a nursing home, then certainly that group um, would benefit more from vitamin D supplementation than the general population. Look, while we're on supplements, Helen, one that I get asked about 
from time to time is vitamin K2. Do you have any? Look, uh, I've got a little bit of information. And if you, you know, if you go to the um, the pharmacy and see all the supplements, K2 is often um, in there. K2 is actually made, um, you need vitamin K for the bones. It's a cofactor in some proteins uh, that are needed to mineralise your bones and make them strong. There have been trials done in K1 and K2. K2 is actually made by your gut flora. Mm. Um, but the, the data for the treatment or its benefit in osteoporosis is a bit conflicting. Um, K2 um, menetrinone <laughs> is used in Japan um, to treat osteoporosis, but when it's been applied to other populations, um, it doesn't look to be that useful. And again, K, vitamin K is so easy to get from leafy green vegetables. I, I'd much rather see people eat those. Yeah, it's it's a. I think it's a really difficult story, and I think you talked about stuff being done in Japan. Mm-hmm. My understanding was some of the initial um, research was done by a particular highly regarded Japanese researcher on K two, mm-hmm. but it turned out none of those experiments, which were very positive when he did them, were able to be repeated by anyone else. So mm-hmm. there's that uncertainty there. Certainly, we would see when we block vitamin K using warfarin for thinning the blood, mm. blocking vitamin K seems to affect calcium metabolism because we yeah. often see people with a lot of calcium in their arteries, mm. not necessarily a, a huge increase in risk of heart attack, mm. but certainly calcium in their arteries. So there must be some interplay but maybe it's a watch this space thing and I, I, eat, eat healthy leafy greens in the meantime. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And, and certainly because you can see some physiological role, you can't necessarily extrapolate into treating disease. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Associated with the pathophysiology, yeah. Look, we've just covered about 10 to 15 minutes with a really nice dive into lifestyle diet for osteoporosis, I'd be pretty happy to wrap it up there if it's all right with you, Helen, and invite mm-hmm. you back for a bit of a talk about some of the drugs that mm-hmm. people might end up uh, needing. So I'll finish it up there. Thank you so much for Pleasure. sharing. <laughs> uh, for those listening, I hope you found this as informative, as informative and educational as I have. Uh, it's a real delight uh, getting this great information, and I hope you're enjoying it too. For now, I'm going to wish you the very best. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, please live as well as possible for as long as possible. Take care. Did you know that coronary artery disease kills one in four people? So most of us are likely to carry some risk or know someone who does. If you're interested in finding out more about how to evaluate that risk, check out www.virtualheartcheck.com.au. It'll give you information about risk and what else can be done to be even more precise.